Welcome. Here we go. Hello. The podcast with a slight difference this time round, because for our seventh episode, Awesome Autumn, we are doing it remotely, aren't we, gents? The power of technology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing as we couldn't find an appropriate time to get together, um, so we're going to give this a go. But uh, we're, do- we're using some free software, which literally only gives us 60 minutes to record. So if this cuts out uh, halfway through a sentence or whatever, you know exactly why. But we're going to try and keep within uh, our allotted time and see how this goes. But we're feeling quite optimistic about it, aren't we, gents? We're embracing it. I'll yeah, a few so. technical difficulties to begin yeah. with, but we've well, overcome I am a technophobe, them. you know that much. So, Well, yeah, father's so connected to nature and so averse to the digital world that um, recording <laughs> remotely not only goes against everything he believes in, but everything that he knows about as well. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we had a few we had a few issues, but we're here. Um, yep. And it's time that language we... Language from father nature that I've never uh, heard before and never wish to hear again. Yeah, choice language. <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> probably the best way to describe it. That's what it does to me, I'm afraid. Apologies, yeah. glad it's not on tape. No, we're going to have the watershed episode, um, where <laughs> an explicit one, where father just lets loose on his microphone. Um, but how, how have you both been? So it's been a fair while since pond life. Have you been embracing the uh, the new water elements in your life Robbie yeah so um no I've been for a few walks around our local lakes which has been really nice so I've been to them before I'm quite familiar with them but like I said in the last one you still every time you go you seem to see something different and so we've had a couple of walks with friends and family and it's been lovely and um I saw a a um well what I now know to be a goose which I hadn't seen before (laughs) well you've never seen a goose well, we've all seen the Canadian goose and like, yeah, oh. the more, the other, like the more standard ones. But I saw what I now know to be an Egyptian goose. Oh, yeah. oh they're really and nice, aren't they? Yeah. I'd never seen one before, I don't think. Well, certainly well, not actually, around here. Yeah, and, they're not uh, native. They're not native. They're, they're escapees originally. From Egypt. From, from, from no, from wildfowl collections. Uh, they're, they're very abundant in places like South Africa and such like, but, um, curiously, they're not actually a goose. They're a type of duck. Oh yeah. Related. They're called Egyptian geese, but they're related to Muscovy ducks. Um, and they're vagrants over here and they're starting to breed in big numbers and, you know, they're, they're just part of the English sort of, uh, countryside scene now they've they've muscled in there just like canada geese and uh they're here to stay they are a lot more exotic though aren't they they look a lot nicer the egyptian goose 
yeah, which is incorrectly well, named in in both parts of its name. If it's neither from yes. Egypt nor a goose, yeah. it's actually a South African duck. <laughs> it doesn't sound as goose uh, as good as goose. Yeah. Um, again, Canada geese aren't restricted to Canada, but they they used to be very much more a migratory goose that would disappear uh, up north to breed. But now, of course, they they again. Uh, donkeys years ago escaped from wildfowl connection uh, collections and uh they've they've bred in parks and and such like and resisted the urge to migrate and so yeah they're here for good too in big numbers interesting well, have you been embracing any particular aspects of pond life john since the episode or i have i've done on the domestic front uh i've been clearing out some of the uh, marginal plants that have started to die down around my pond and some of the lily pads, which where the leaves are starting to die because being that it's quite a small pond, I try and keep it uh, fairly clear of uh, material that's dying down because it, it actually uses up a lot of oxygen in the water. So if you can, and that's why you you don't let loads of autumn leaves and such like all stay on the pond and sink down to the bottom because they the process of breaking down uses up oxygen in the water and that's what you don't want. So I've been doing a bit of that and I've been exploring a couple of new ponds actually looking primarily for bats, the, the Dorbenton's bat. And uh, in both cases, we went along with um, uh, uh, our bat recorders and recorded sort of species that are, are quite new and quite rare to, uh, to the actual area, some barbastels. So, Do you have um, a special bat recorder? Uh, yes, there's um, a, a special bat re- because we can't actually Put that on hear. the Christmas list. The, oh, oh, honestly, they're great. They are fantastic. Nice stocking um, filler. <laughs> just called a bat box. Oh, and, another bat recorder. Yeah, and <laughs> actually, they have changed. There's there's a lot of them about now, and you can get you can get an app for a tablet, and uh, it's, it costs a huge amount. It comes with a very special sort of microphone, and it not only records all the frequencies. Uh, but it displays them in front of you. Mm. Whereas the ordinary bat box, you tend to have to tune in the frequency that you're expecting it to, uh, the bat to call at, because of course you can't hear it. So it comes through the box as a, a, a pattern of clicks and belches and flip flop, flip flops and that sort of sound. And that way you can tell what you're listening to. So you can't hear the bats call because they uh, too pitched high at pitch. such frequency that we can't detect it. That's right. And that's why we well. need our box. Mm. So well, there we are. Well, yep. uh, Robbie, then the homework. Uh, there was a little bit of, uh, well, apple wars, wasn't there, after the la- over the last couple of weeks? Because your homework yeah. was to embrace the autumnal apple and do something with it. How did it go? Yeah, good. So I, I've done a couple of apple crumbles, basically. Mm. Um, so the first one I did was with um, shop-bought apples, but they were best of British. So there was like a mixed sack of different British apples, which turned out pretty nice. And then um, my sister had listened to the pod um, and she's got a an apple tree in her garden. So when I next saw her, she gave me a sack of those apples. And so mm. I did another one with uh, with just the apples from 
in my sister's garden. And again, it was really, really nice. It was nicer than the ones which were bought from the shop. So, um, yeah, I've had a couple. I sent you a photo, Jasper, and you weren't too kind about how it looked, I have to say. But, um, it Your tasted second nice. one? Yeah. Your second one was uh, an interesting colour inconsistency i would say uh, so I'll, I'll admit that the crumb on the second one was probably too fine and i think you said it looked like cement or something like that but um <laughs> yeah you could build a house i never saw it. a photo of yours well i, I can go one better than that because uh, father actually tasted it because it was it was made half with father's apples from his very own orchard uh, for mother's birthday actually uh what did you think john it was absolutely delicious, and you very kindly gave us a portion each to take home, uh, which we we'll delicious as well. It was. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also, before we move on to the main chunk of this episode, which is uh, going to continue our autumn appreciation um, and going to build on it from our apple crumbles, is just to mention that you finished your bee hotel, Rob. Yeah, I did. So I think when we last spoke, I'd pretty much done it, but I was a couple of bamboo canes short, so it wasn't completely full. Um, so yeah, I've scavenged some more bamboo from um, my sister's house and I've finished it now. So the Heath Robinson hatchet job is <laughs> yeah. complete. I think we could adopt that perhaps as a, our new insult. You're, oh, you're a couple of bamboo short, aren't you? <laughs> a couple of yeah. bamboo short for B yeah. Hotel. <laughs> um john what a what a great time for rob to finish the b hotel as well well it is we got the i mean is it though well it it depends now there are being honest i have seen a bee in what and a wasp in my garden so there's still a couple floating about there's Hmm. there's quite a few bees and uh wasps uh floating about and don't forget some of the bees and wasps that you're talking about will be the communal ones, the ones that have big nests and massive colonies, the ones ones. that the bee hotels look after are the the solitary ones. And so they're slightly different. So uh, like if you had a bee, a honeybee swarm now, it would be a dreadful time to take it on because they don't have the resource to build up enough honey stocks to see them through the winter. So that would be a non-starter. But in the case of some of the solitaries, they will actually lay an egg in an appropriate place, which will overwinter. So we're, we're coming into that. I mean, we'll talk much more about it, but we're coming into that sort of uh, time of year where things are literally preparing for winter and Mm. everything does it in a slightly different way, but it's a, some, some things sort of get actually much more active and some things, slow it right down and some things sleep right the way through so okay well yeah that's uh, a good segue in i think to begin just before we move on actually oh, Jasper, no, no. i've got a little something that i'd like to ask you <laughs> Oh, so obviously in the first couple of episodes you were keen to shine a light on my expenditures and what i'd splashed out on oh, from no. episode to episode but I'm pretty yeah. sure since our last episode, you've had quite a a flash purchase, haven't you? <laughs> Have I? Haven't you? Have I? I don't know. Um, what are you referring to? Well, we broke down in your old car. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'm hoping you've replaced I, it. I 
the thing is, the difference is I made a necessary purchase because we did indeed break down, whereas you made um, a purchase out of pure vanity after the success <laughs> of the opening podcast. Um, and my second point would be, seeing as we're using this new technology and I'm hosting it, I can mute you at any point, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to be part of the Father Nature tribe, follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Father Nature HQ. You can also email us directly. Our address is FatherNatureHQ at gmail.com. Autumn then. Awesome autumn, we're calling this. And mm-hmm. we're going to take you firstly through a sensory appreciation of autumn let's call it for want of a better phrase uh, before we actually look at the different ways to celebrate it um and also i'm going to be littering this episode with some of my awesome autumn facts so uh, shall i kick off with my first one yeah okay we typically think of fall as the north american version of the word autumn but it was, in fact, in widespread usage in England until relatively recently. Originally, a shortening of the phrase fall of the leaf. The phrase was common in England in the 17th century. The word autumn entered English from the French autumn and didn't become common usage until the 18th century. How about that? Fantastic. That's new to me. Brilliant well, there stuff. you go. There Do you we go. need to fact check these <laughs> at the end of the show? <laughs> yeah, we probably should actually. Um, Rob, what do you think of Autumn? You a fan? I'm a massive fan. Like, um, obviously, we've touched upon it through most of the episodes of the pod so far, but I'm quite a keen walker and will, um, you know, walk on the weekends and after work and before work if I'm feeling adventurous. And um, Autumn is definitely my favourite time of year to walk just because I think visually it's it's the nicest uh, time of year to go out in a walk and certainly when we were in living in London we um, lived a short walk away from Clapham Common and walking through the trees there even you know like we've said it in the past mm-hmm. you don't have to be in a particularly rural area to appreciate the seasons and your surroundings and we used to love walking through Clapham in the autumn and the different times of um, you know different times of year and different times of autumn and watching the colours change um sorry watching the leaves change color and then eventually fall and it's uh no it's always been a nice time for me to walk and and beyond that i quite like autumn food like starting to you know move into like soup season and trying to mm. um cook more seasonally and like warming dinners and things like that so no it's what it's i I don't know if it's my favourite. Like, I, I think autumn and spring are my favourite seasons. Um, I don't know if which one I prefer, but certainly autumn. I always look forward to autumn, mm. um, at least the first few weeks before it goes into the harsh winter, which um, obviously we're going to be uh, yeah. diving into in the next couple of episodes and hopefully learning that it's not actually too scary. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And uh, what about for you, John? What does autumn represent? Because I feel like it's it's a season that for a lot of people represents change in one way or another. Yeah, definitely. It is, it is the season of change. Um, I, I particularly love autumn. Um, like Rob, 
if you like walking, it's always a really comfortable thing to do. You can you can always warm up because of extra clothes and pace and things like that. Whereas on a really hot day, it's sometimes difficult to cool down. Um, so I, but I also love seeing the transition. And for me, the way nature adapts to the the sort of um, changing seasons is what it's all about, really. Uh, so you mentioned the sort of visual side of it. Uh, literally where I work, we, we overlook a whole bank of, um, well, forest really, um, that rises up. So you get a real good view of it. And, um, that's, that's starting as we speak to really change. And, uh, a lot of people sort of want to know what that change is all about. Um, and so I'm going to throw the word out at you here, photoperiodism. Mm. Okay. So hopefully that, that, that sounds like a sort of weird word, but it's all about something's um, not ability, but the way something reacts to changes in daylight. So, in this case, in the case of leaves, uh, the daylight length uh, has obviously shortened, and this stops the the tree and various plants uh, actually manufacturing chlorophyll, and that's the thing that gives them their green colour. And it's obviously the substance that uh, reacts with sunlight to give them their nutrition. So the nutrition stops and nutrition tends to be stored in sort of sap and down in the roots. And uh, the chlorophyll production stops. So the green fades and it leaves behind it the sort of shell of the leaf, which is turned often just an ordinary dull brown color but some species of trees they they uh, the if you get a nice run of warm days and quite cold nights uh they 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 produce pigments called carotenoids and uh that's what can give you a, in some a particular hue of sort of deep deep yellows through to oranges and even quite bright reds uh mm. so you can get some really really pretty sort of uh displays and then obviously the leaf falls off and then you think well why bother what's the point of that and essentially it's a preparation for winter because obviously probably 90 something percent of any leaf is actually uh water now we're gonna we're moving into a season that will have freezing temperatures certainly overnight freezing temperatures and uh if the leaves freeze then the cells will be broken and then and they will fracture and that would be devastating because they'll they'll lose any uh function then so that would leave them exposed to sort of disease and such like uh it doesn't occur in evergreens because they are adapted against uh freezing conditions so hence you go further north up into the sort of, you know, Nordic regions and such like, and you'll find a whole array of plants which can be sort of quite harshly frozen uh, and still survive fine. And indeed, our conifers can do it the same, so can yew trees uh, and various other what we call evergreens. Mm. Okay, so yeah, that that is the that's obviously covering our first sense on this little journey of sight and what you can see. And I think that's uh, what a lot of people think about in autumn, particularly the different colors, anything else that you might put on uh, what people can see? 
Uh, Different wildlife, potentially? Well, I was just going to say, um, yes, there's, there's a lot of movement going on, particularly in the um, bird world, which is very visual. So uh, we might have noticed if we've gone back to some of our sort of original homework places, our special places, and we might have seen various things like swallows, swifts, house martins, uh, and heard some of the things like willow warblers, nightingales, things like that. All of those guys are summer migrants, and they've disappeared from our shores now. Primarily, they've all gone south. Uh, so they've, they've come up here, they've, they've bred, and hopefully been successful. And now they've started their long journeys back down south, some down to sort of southern Europe, some northern Africa, some southern Africa, etc. So anyway, they, they've disappeared, but we're getting a lovely influx now of some of our uh, migrant birds, the winter migrants, that actually come to us to spend the, the winter months, and they primarily come from further north. Mm. So you've, we'll have things like some members of the thrush family. I've been hearing a lot over the past couple of days, the red wings. Uh, I haven't had any field fairs yet, but I'm sure they're in. Uh, but I've had loads of red wings and uh, they're, they're dropping down from northern Europe, Greenland, Iceland, Russia. And they will come here to feed on the, the sort of multitude of natural foods that we've got, especially the berries and soft fruits and such like. Uh, and uh, also uh, wildfowl. So by wildfowl, I mean uh, some of the wading birds, some of the ducks, some of the geese. Likewise, they go north to breed, some of them as far as right up in the Arctic Circle, where they'll, they'll go up and uh, breed on the, the very, very short gap in the tundra where all the spring uh, flowers and the uh, massive insects come up. <clears throat> and uh, now that will be sort of freezing over again. And so down they come. And uh, we'll see them along our coastlines and around our gravel pits, around big ponds. Mm. And uh, so, yes. And uh, sometimes I, I think you mentioned, Rob, about geese. Yeah, Did well, you I guess that, that, you... that transition us into what you can hear as well for our next sense, because, Rob, you and I both have, have been uh, hearing the geese more often, haven't we? Yeah, well, I certainly have. Like, I'm where I'm sitting now. Um, backs on over like, the room I'm in now. Backs over our our back garden, and every now and then I do see like a flock of I think they're Canadian geese, but quite rarely. Um, every so often, but in the last few weeks, I've heard. I feel like I've heard geese most days. Actually, mm. you know, I can't can't always see them. I'm trying to like crane my neck and look for them. Yeah, it's not always obvious where they are, but I can hear them more and more at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah so the- I see them every day at the moment. We're we're getting big sort of it's called a skein of geese as it flies over and sometimes you get the classic V shaped formation. Yeah, that's and, exactly uh, what I've seen. It, it's quite an awesome thing to do to fly because a lot of them cover a lot of uh, sea and you know they they don't stop they're they're flying very very high and uh, and they they form these formations that are apparently a bit more aerodynamic and they literally take turns in who's at the front and who's at the back, etc., And they just sort of gently honk and make these communication noises all the time. And it's thought that this is just a way of keeping them in touch because, of course, they're flying day and night. Uh, so 
just these these gentle sounds that they're making as they come in. Uh, they're big, aren't they? Like, yes. isn't it? Wasn't it a flock of Canadian geese or a scheme of of geese that took down that plane, uh, Sully's plane, onto the Hudson River? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, right. yeah. It's I mean, mad, isn't it? If you get, I mean, they they will use various things to deter anything that flocks up. Um, so, uh, I mean, ge- geese are lethal because they're so big, but even if you get a flock of starlings that are around like an airfield, so you you will often get somebody with a hawk who's employed to, you know, fly the hawk around just to frighten the starlings away. Because if they get sucked into a jet engine, then it, it can be obviously devastating, especially for mm. the starlings. <laughs> <laughs> so what else can we hear in autumn then? Right, so we've got the the various geese that we've just been talking about. We've got the various of the thrush family. Uh, I tell you what, you can't hear so much. Mm, okay. Uh, by I mean, and and this is sort of like one of those things that is quite apparent. And probably if you've gone back to your special areas, you'll think, "What's happened to the bird's song?" Because it's actually relatively quiet. And the the one of the advantages of perhaps it getting uh, light a little bit later in the day is that actually you can experience dawn more easily. And if you get up around about dawn at the moment, there isn't much of a dawn chorus. There's a few robins singing and robins do tend to sing year round. Uh, and there's a few wrens giving a bit of a, um, a sort of communication call, uh, but very little bird song. And that's because I think we we mentioned way back bird song uses an awful lot of energy and they literally don't need to invest that energy in song right now because they're not actually needing to defend territories indeed it's the opposite and if you keep watching around you'll find that a lot of birds which might have spent the rest of their uh their sort of year in either isolation or their very own family groups uh, are now entering quite big flocks. We get big flocks of finches and big flocks of the tit family. You get big flocks of waders and uh, geese. And so keep keep an eye out for them and you'll hear that they're all making sort of individual calls, but they're not actually singing. So we're hearing a lot uh, of things that are uh, basically um, just to do with communication as opposed to territory now that's very different when it comes to the mammals because if you actually and again another wonderful advantage of autumn is it's it's easier to go out at night time because it's a bit earlier and the other animals that are really clicking into the season are things like foxes and badgers so again they, they are photoperiodic so the uh dropping uh, daylight hours causes them to start coming into season so at the moment unlike say a month ago we're starting to get dog foxes barking and uh, the vixens starting to do a few calls they're not necessarily at mating uh levels yet that tends to come literally in a, a sort of six eight weeks time but they're just starting to get a bit more territorial. Uh, the the cubs are maturing, and as such, 
uh, are not necessarily welcome in their family groups anymore. So you're getting a lot of scrapping amongst foxes and badgers come to that. The alpha boar badger will start to scrap with some of the young males. The makes alpha boar badger. Yeah. So you, you always get have an alpha. Sounds petrifying. They they are petrifying, and when when you get two boar badgers fighting, they 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 make a massive massive din. But you can walk up almost right to them. You know, I've, I've been very close to fighting. You wouldn't badgers. want to. You've been close to fighting badgers. I think you need to rephrase yeah. that, as in, like, you haven't been close to fighting badgers. No, okay, I've, I've witnessed badgers fighting at a very close range. There, how's that? Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. they literally don't run away from you because they're so engrossed in battering each other. Um, and, and, so how, yeah. do, how do badgers fight? Like, what do they use? Well, teeth and claws, really. And they don't, in fairness, seem to sort of, like, massively injure each other they got very thick hides i should think but it's just the sheer noise that they make it is absolutely terrifying i'm sure it- and what are they what are they fighting about so they're fighting so badgers have quite big sets they can be very big but they will contain large large family groups now you always get competition for which males have the right to mate with others in that group and the alpha boar as they're called is boar and sow um the alpha boar will drive away the younger um probably sons and uh such like because it basically that it's the strongest one that rules and the, the strongest genes should be the ones that has passed on. And this is why, sadly, I don't know if you've noticed, there's, there's quite a lot of badgers appearing on the roads right now because these younger male badgers are being driven away from the sets. So they're, they're, they're finding their own way in life and they're, they're looking around for new places to sort of find sets to find sow badgers and uh and to carry on their cycle but certainly around us you know down down this this bit of surrey every day i'm seeing you know dead badger on the road and uh it it wouldn't surprise me i don't know anyone who obviously would do this sort of survey but if they were picked up and checked i bet you that a good proportion of them are young males or indeed older males that are being driven away because that's the other thing that happens Our podcast is the perfect start as you seek a deeper connection with the natural world. But why not take it one step further? If you're liking what you're hearing from Father Nature, why not book a day with our resident nature expert, Johnny Taylor? Whether it's one-to-one, group sessions, or a corporate day to enhance your staff's well-being, we have all elements of nature connection covered. Guided walks, fire lighting, foraging, bushcraft are just some examples of what we offer. We will tailor the day to suit your needs. Just email us at fathernaturehq at gmail.com or send us a message on our social media accounts at fathernaturehq to let us know you're interested and we'll get straight back in touch. Right, let's talk about the smell of autumn because I don't know about you, Rob, but I feel like autumn possibly out of all of the seasons has has this distinct smell about it when you're out and about you can smell and walking autumn. through kicking the leaves mm. yeah no it's, you can it's like a um like that kind of nice woody 
um almost Musky. like yeah, you think of the firework night like i always think that i associate that with a a kind of smell that's gunpowder <laughs> <laughs> autumn smells but it smells nice it smells like um it smells like how you would want to smell when you're of a certain older age <laughs> of decay <It's>, autumn <laughs> is is refined it's refined and yeah. oaky yeah, is well, this Oki backed up with science, John? Or well, oh yeah, because basically those smells, actually, curiously, they are the smells of decomposition. Um, that there's so many of our plants, um, you know, even even a lot of the perennials, but certainly all of the annuals and biannuals, and uh, add to that, trees are all losing their leaves and such like. Well. All these things, once they've sort of done their life cycle, they will die down and be reincorporated into the earth. So that that sort of decomposition is done by like millions, trillions of invertebrates, bacteria, and of course fungi. And it's if you get like if you go into a wood and you literally just scrape up the woodland floor and have a, a deep smell of it. And it sounds weird, but it is a gorgeous smell. It's not like a a, a muddy, toxic kind of like um, sort of like uh, mm. it's smell. It's a it's a lovely smell, and um, and indeed, it is known that just smelling that is actually quite good for inducing feelings of well-being in you sort of thing it's just that connection mm. they say you know lie on the ground and just breathe the earth and uh so um you know have a go obviously uh <laughs> we always do that but if you think about sort of i mean leaf mold is always what i think of the the ultimate it's uh like you might say that the first cut of grass in spring gives you that mm. wonderful odor for me leaf mold is that the wonderful odor of autumn and uh if you get again warmish temperatures then the the rate of decomposition with the bacteria fungi and such like is is faster uh and therefore the leaves on the autumn uh, on the sort of woodland floor and such like they they start to disappear a bit sooner but they they do do incredibly well when you think how many like millions of leaves you have on the average tree and yet by the end of winter there's not millions of trees uh, millions of leaves sort of like you know two feet high on the woodland floor because they all do rot down yeah okay let's i love the smell of sorry just quickly one of my favorite smells is when you're walking like walking through an area where so many pine needles have fallen Mm. Mm. I love mm. the smell of pine yeah, needles and all Christmas-y. that. And I'm sure, like, yeah, it is. And John, I'm sure you've um, made us some pine needle tea in that's the past. It. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, that's a fave of mine for mm. sure. Yeah. Well, that's that's a brilliant segue onto the taste then, because uh, that that is certainly one way you could do it. But what we we're very into our seasonal eating here on this podcast i think that's been a feature of what we've done so far so what are we looking at now john in terms of autumnal foods and drinks 
uh, real abundance, I think. And as, as Robbie said, it's, um, it's a time that we associate with kind of wholesome, hot, delicious, sort of sustaining type foods. Uh, so on the sort of what you might call the domestic front, um, and I, I would love our, our podcast listeners to try and adopt this business, maybe this autumn, to have a closer look at the labelling of their packets that they're buying in a supermarket and such like, to see what's produced in this country, because this country produces some fantastic in-season vegetables over the autumn months. We've got loads of root vegetables going out there, loads of the brassicas that go right through the winter, uh, things like leeks, and uh, they're, they're all in abundance. They keep going and keep going. Um, and if any of you um, have been listening to us for a while and had a go at our grow-your-own type suggestions, you might well be, as we were going to do a shout-out to my lovely chum, Elaine, who uh, really, really took on board uh, some of the stuff we are talking about in Grow Your Own. And... She's actually Instagrammed us very kindly some wonderful images of her crops and she's still picking beans and uh, brassicas and such like. And just saying how satisfying it is, that that is a real connection to nature, something that you've actually uh, nurtured from a seed and it's grown right up and you've harvested it and you've seen it through its full sort of like the, the whole process. Then you've eaten it and it's just great stuff. Mm. So that, that's what you might call on the domestic front, sort of. And, of course, we've got lots of our fruits in season now. Uh, the the apples will go on for quite some time and pears. Uh, but the the wild harvest, which is what a lot of people are thinking about in terms of foraging now, it's, as I said, a, a time of abundance. We've got things like um, blackberries, which are still being produced in good numbers, uh, there's things like uh, the wild dog rose, which produces um, uh, rose hips. And there's rowan berries, hawthorn berries. Uh, the blackthorn bush produces the sloes, uh, loads of crab apples. Most of the things that I've mentioned there, they're not to necessarily to pick and just eat because they, they ref- require a bit of processing. So, Quite often, they got huge vitamin C levels uh, and uh, and quite good taste on a lot of them. So we tend to make them into jellies and chutneys and pickles and things like that. Um, or, of course, you can just take the flesh off them and freeze them, which is what I'm quite a fan of, because then you can get it out of the freezer and use it for various other things. If you're enjoying the Father Nature podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you do three simple things for us. Leave us a nice review, recommend us to a friend and hit the subscribe button. All three things really help us to reach more people. So that's review, recommend, subscribe. Thank you. Okay, right. So let's move on to how we can all celebrate autumn. But Before we get there, the next of my awesome autumn facts mm. is as follows. Technically, the planets in our solar system have seasons as well, though the impact on climate is not the same as on Earth, as they don't have the same axis tilt. Seasons can also have different lengths. Neptune's last autumn began in 1962, 
and ended in 2003. Well, so if anyone thinks <laughs> we've got it form. bad, <laughs> um, be glad you don't live in that. Sun seekers, the worshippers, yeah, <laughs> um, it could be a lot worse. But let's move on to how we can embrace autumn then, because there's lots of celebrations around, isn't there, John? Yeah, I mean, historically, it's a, a huge um, area of celebration. Um, I suppose if we we start with sort of some of the earliest sort of what you might call documented we've got um the the celebration at the the very end of the month um so 31st which uh would be called by many people Samhain which is spelt Sam Hain but Samhain and it's one of the sort of pagan uh fire festivals it's the it's the last of the um of the harvest festivals uh, understandably, when we've just been talking about the abundance of food and such like, and of course, so much of the food that would be harvested around about now uh, would be celebrated to get that harvest in, but then the huge job of preserving it would would uh, start. So, um, Samhain was a, a fire festival. Uh, it was thought of in fire festival, isn't that? The- <laughs> The uh, the oversold like luxury camping and the Netflix documentary, yeah, yeah, that I know not about. But... Father Nature's Fire Festival. <laughs> so anyway, and so it celebrates in some respects, uh, in sort of like pagan terms, the Lord of Darkness, which I always would think of as Oz- Ozzy Osbourne, but in this case, it's it's actually not. Some that I think the the druids might have called it the feast of the dead uh and it's a time when apparently the the sort of veil between the living and the deceased is uh, is uh thinnest so whatever you believe happens sort of where after we die, uh, whether it's um, you, you sort of disappear into the ether or you go to heaven or whatever you believe, the the sort of borderline or the boundary between us and, and those is at its thinnest. And so it's got this association with being a time when you can communicate with the dead much easier, hence we get a lot of uh, the the associated, slightly more modern uh, celebration is Halloween, and of course you get all the ghostly images and such like from that. Uh, even though that's not quite how it was in history, so Halloween actually uh, hallow means the holy one, and the the een part means the evening, evening before I think it actually means, and so Halloween was actually the precursor to All Hallows, which is a, um, I could, forgive me, I can't remember if it's Christian or Catholic event, but it was um, a, a time of celebrating all of the saints. Saint, I think it's also called All Saints Day. And, uh, of course, whether it's coincidence that all the saints are also dead or not, I don't know, and they felt they can reach them. So we've got the slightly sort of what you might call the flippant celebration, which is the ghosts and uh, the frightening side of things all through the night, Uh, the visitations of ghosts, us to them and them to us. And then you've got the slightly more, well, well, I say slightly, the very much more Christianized 
sort of uh, version where it was, I think, forbidden to work uh, on the the day of All Hallows and uh, the the day should be spent honouring all the saints. Uh, So it's got in some... There's there's three different things there, I guess. You've got um, Samhain and you've got Halloween and you've got All Hallows or All Saints. Uh, All kind of the same thing. Uh, Just looking at it from a slightly different point of view, I still... You know, I I still quite like the the pagan ethos of we're looking at a time which is one of transition. Uh, and when you look at nature, you'll see that so many things are in, in transition. But it's it's transition as opposed to death. I mean, you we we look at all these trees losing their leaves, and we're not sad because we know that come springtime they all come alive again we look at all of the things like the uh willow herbs and things like that and the thistles which are all dying down but we're not sad because we know that their seeds have gone on to uh to to provide next year's growth and uh it's literally that that, that for me is the cycle of it it's it's not a sad thing it's just a it's a time of sort of dormancy and transformation and of course rest because one thing we haven't even mentioned yet is that it's also the time when some of our well quite a few of our invertebrates and uh some of our mammals are, are getting ready for hibernation now so things like hedgehogs dormice and uh the bats, they're, they're all starting to get ready to go into several months of hibernation. Um, bat hibernation is very much shallower than the previous two, but basically uh, the um, hedgehogs and dormice, they need to really feed up because if they go in, they go into a very deep hibernation, i.e. they don't just wake up just like that. They have to come out of it very slowly. And uh, if they don't go in at a heavy enough weight, they'll essentially use up all their en- all available energy just in that hibernation stage, and uh, and probably die in hibernation. So, you know, big up all the slugs around at the moment and invertebrates <laughs> that are being munched on. The dormice are munching on lots of soft fruit and nuts and grains. And yeah. uh, wish them well. But actually, on that front, if you do pick up a hedgehog. And it's you're able to pick it up, and it feels a bit light. Just actually weigh it, and then call your local wildlife rescue group. Tell them what the weight is, and they'll say whether to bring it into them or to release it again, because uh, it is getting quite late in the season, and uh, hedgehogs are by no means numerous anymore. So we need to really look after them. Yeah. Okay. Another celebration, of course, is bonfire night. Robbie, big fan. Yeah, it's quite a big tradition. Um, well, I suppose everywhere, but uh, certainly back where I grew up, it used to be a big night of the year, and uh, yeah, used to always go to it. Yeah, absolutely. Same, same with us as well. Um, big local bonfire, and Rachel's family as well really adopt it. We always, um, since we've been together, and well, they've done it for a long time before that. Um, always make a big deal of it, have a fire, get them homemade fireworks, which has led to some questionable occasions with <laughs> Rachel's dad in charge and uh, uh, nice. a, a few misfires and misaims but um we've came out in one piece but it always gives us a good laugh but yeah it's uh, another good celebration of awesome john 
I d- yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's much more of a human thing, much more of a political thing, quite a good anarchic thing because it's all about obviously Guy Fawkes, um, and uh, it's. I mean, what I like about it is it gets people outside and it gets people around a fire, and um, you know, it's uh, it's actually what I used to love most is actually when the fireworks had finished and people were sat chatting around the fire because I think that's a really awesome thing to do on a, a sort of cold night. Yeah. Just have your, your beer and your baked potato and sit with your mates around a fire and having a good old chat. It's really nice. Mm. Yeah. And I always associate it with like soup and, you yeah. know, again, like foods that we've spoken about. And yeah, we'd often, my mum would um, make a soup and it'd be really nice. Mm. And so, yeah, there are some yeah. definitely links Rachel's there. Rachel's mum does mushroom soup. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, But we we should say, though, if you're going to do that, or whoever does bonfires and fires, check for animals. Yeah. As I say, um, particularly hedgehogs. um, Nowadays, I think people who do, um, I think one of the troubles was sort of in the past, people would start building their, the actual bonfires quite early on. And so, you know, if it takes weeks and weeks to build, then things like um, hedgehogs would actually see that as a fantastic place to hibernate. So they would just sort of obviously crawl in, and by the time it's lit, they're done for. Um, I, I mean, I don't know sort of what the evidence is around that because presumably there's nothing left. There's certainly no forensics left for the hedgehog detectives to find, but... I, I think it's probably the case that sometimes people have been rearranging bonfires and things and found hedgehogs at the bottom of them uh, and thought, oh, my God, I was going to set fire to this at any, you know, come bonfire night, November the 5th. So, um, so yeah, do do check. Um, build your bonfires last minute. And, um, and also, perhaps, you know, if, if you're feeling handy or flush or whatever knock yourself up a um, hedgehog box i think they're fairly successful if they're sighted in the right place but they they can't be out in the open they've got to pretty much be a box within a sheltered area but they're basically like a, a bit of a wooden igloo and uh i've i've built one it hasn't been used yet but i've built one underneath my water butt and it's um it's all got lined out with sort of twigs and uh straw and such like but i don't think it's been used as yet but you know you you can but try i haven't actually seen a hedgehog in the garden for for a few years now so one day john one day yeah we keep trying uh right before just very briefly then any other suggestions for celebrating autumn uh well i as i say i think embrace it don't shut yourself away take advantage of some evening walks uh, lots of the migrant things that we've said that we can hear, the things like the geese coming over, they still fly at night and they still call at night. And the other thing that's starting to happen, as we mentioned, is the foxes and badgers are making a lot more noise. And so are the owls. The owls are one of our first um, groups of birds to start to breed and become territorial. So you're very likely to hear um, tawny owls. I'm sure they're widespread over the whole country. Uh, so, yeah, if you can, you know, just go out sort of at, at dusk and go for a nice walk, 
you'll see some of the traditionally shy sort of nocturnal animals and birds or if not see them hear them and uh you know there's always a great pleasure to hear owls so um treat yourself to some walks out you know get your old uh hat and scarf and gloves on keep lovely and warm and uh and go for a nice walk excellent yeah just a quick note as well when you're out and about walking in the dusk or the dark to do it as safe as possibly do take company definitely take company especially if they've never done it before a lot of people feel very intimidated by what they perceive as darkness but i've I've done quite a lot of sort of nighttime walks and people are amazed how light it is so but yeah keep safe go somewhere where you're confident take some friends take a flask take a torch and enjoy fact number three no film with autumn in its title has ever won an oscar all the (laughs) other seasons have Mm. might might change after the publication As a of, result this of this podcast. If someone dramatizes mm. this podcast, yeah. Yeah. If we ever if we release your either the, the video footage or perhaps the <laughs> uh the pre show audio of you trying to figure it out, John, might be Oscar, <laughs> yeah. Oscar worthy. That would um, have to be a horror rated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, God, imagine if Father, Father Nature got turned into a uh, some sort of film. We'd have to all pick someone to play us. Um, <laughs> who would play Father Nature? Who would play for? I, I think maybe maybe Jason like Jason Statham. Statham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, we'll perhaps yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll perhaps we'll um Instagram him see if he's interested in the role. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love Very to see good. some jacked up Father Nature. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. Right. Um, let's move on to the homework there, John. What have you got for our listeners and for Robbie? If you can return to your uh, the place that we've chosen to have as our special area, and again, just give yourself that sort of like 15 minutes or so when we stop and just immerse ourselves in it. Just think about that connection to nature. And then we're already at the stage. I mean, you know, we're only at podcast seven, but we're already at a stage where we can actually start to really compare with how we've heard, listened, and watched, and smelt, and sort of tasted things beforehand. So go sit on your log or sort of at your viewpoint and just take in those changes, see how it's changing. And, of course, it will change quite dramatically in the next three weeks. Uh, and the, the only other little piece, piece of um, homework, which is, is a, a bit for fun, really, is when you're at the greengrocers or the supermarket or whatever next and you're, you're sort of going through the, what you're going to buy, just have a little look of the, uh, the, the product origin See see where they were produced and see if we can keep, uh, you know, buying British foods uh, and immerse yourself in them a little bit. We can sort of all do our bit to reduce our air miles and reduce our sort of carbon footprint a little bit without any bad effect. You know, I'm not saying sort of we've got to be absolutely sort of sacrosanct about it, but it just it's interesting when you see you know just how much produce we can still get that's british right we're going to end with 
my fourth fact then about autumn, which you've all been <laughs> loving throughout the episode. Um, Very good. We're going to sign off with some style then. Awesome autumn fact number four. The male Siberian hamster's testicles swell up to Uh-oh. 17 times bigger than normal in autumn. Wow. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because they can. <laughs> you told me yeah. before the episode you thought that was normal, Rob. <laughs> the intimidation tactic, is it? <laughs> Only yeah, 17 wow. times. <laughs> well, well, that's photoperiodism for you, isn't it? That's photoperiodism for you, and that's how we're going to sign off. <laughs> Gents, thank you very much. And uh, we'll yes, be guys. back uh, next for our Winter Blues mini series. Yeah, true. Yeah, looking forward, looking to, forward doing. to that one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Definitely. Thank you very much. We'll uh, speak okay. to you soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thanks, chaps. Thanks, Bye. all. Bye. Bye.